BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Episode 37 of The Bowery Boys, Henry Ward Beecher and the Scandals at Plymouth Church. Hey, it's The Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello there, and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. Tom is off gallivanting somewhere in Europe. And, you know, I hate to say this, but he is missing a pretty hot topic on this show. Probably the most provocative topic in the history of the Bowery Boys. Henry Ward Beecher was a 19th century minister that most of you probably know a little bit about, and some of you may not know anything about. And his Brooklyn home of worship, the Plymouth Church of the Pilgrims, as it's known today, is fairly modest in comparison to New York's other big churches, but don't let that fool you. Beecher did more than almost any other 19th century white male New Yorker, or rather Brooklynite, as at this time it wasn't actually consolidated as part of New York yet, so we're just talking about Brooklyn. Anyway, uh, he did more than in promoting the causes of the abolition of slavery, women's rights, and in general the development of religious thought down like more liberal and progressive paths. He also permanently damaged his reputation in all those causes by embroiling himself in a sex scandal so shocking at the time that it riveted the entire nation. Henry Ward Beecher's tale involves claims of multiple instances of infidelity, church slave auctions, accusations of rape, marijuana usage, and the cast of supporting characters that you'll see with this story includes America's preeminent white-haired American writer, a future president of the United States, a radical free love advocate on the far side of the women's suffrage movement, and the writer of the most popular book of the 19th century, a writer who just happens to be the sister of Henry Ward Beecher. So sit back as I look at the strange and interesting life of this man, one of Brooklyn's best-known residents, Henry Ward Beecher, or as he's referred to in a recent biography about him, the most famous man in America.
Our story all takes place in Brooklyn Heights, just below the Brooklyn Bridge, overlooking the New York Harbor, and it's basically situated around the location of the original colonial village of Brooklyn, which by the start of the 19th century was still comprised of nothing more than just a few farms. But with the building of Robert Fulton's ferry, which shuttled people between Manhattan and Brooklyn, starting in 1814, Brooklyn Heights became the location for wealthy New Yorkers to live. The first real commuter's village, almost first suburb, if you will. By the 1840s, it had truly become a society unto its own, full of business owners in row after row of elegant and very tony brownstones. In 1846, a group of wealthy businessmen founded Plymouth Church, today at 75 Hicks Street. And quickly looked to attract a truly unique and truly modern minister to bring in worshippers from this swiftly expanding neighborhood. They found him, believe it or not, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Henry Ward Beecher was the son of Lyman Beecher, one of the most well-known and most feared Presbyterian preachers in the Northeast in an era when celebrities and ministry frequently mixed. Lyman ran his household of nine children in a typically strict religious style. They didn't even celebrate Christmas, as any kind of celebration at all was deemed too frivolous. Henry took after his dad in occupation only. As a young preacher, he cut his teeth, religiously speaking, with congregations in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, and Cincinnati, Ohio. Far from the fire and brimstone of his father, Henry Ward Beecher was a combination spiritual guide, flamboyant showman. A motivational speaker. His ideas were cautiously liberal. His preaching style involved humor, relaxed demeanor, and self-depreciation. Most notably, he was approachable and charming. Although with his plump frame and droopy face, he might not be what we would consider dashing today. He was certainly no George Clooney. Still, the ladies swooned. By the time Henry got to Indianapolis, his unique, showy, and progressive style was well known throughout the new Western states. Plymouth Church heard of this remarkable man, invited him to speak, and totally fell in love with him. In October of 1847, Henry and his wife Eunice moved to Brooklyn Heights, eventually moving to the address 124 Columbia Heights. Now, sadly, this townhouse where he lived has, was demolished a long, long time ago. But despite that, what's great about Brooklyn Heights now is there is, in general, it's only slightly changed from when, when it was at this time. So. I suggest you go there, even if it's you know just in your head, and walk these streets with their funny names: Cranberry Street, Orange Street. You know, and imagine the horses and carriages, the women in their bonnets and flounced skirts, the men in frock coats and top hats. This is the world that Henry Ward Beecher entered, and no surprise, he was totally out of step with everything that was going on around him. He was a total out west kind of guy, very unsleek at first, and spoke with a confidence and an intimacy that was very unknown in the circles of East Coast congregations. But eventually, everyone came around. They really came around. He quickly drew large audiences. So many curious Manhattanites actually came over to hear his sermons that the Fulton ferries were soon nicknamed Beecher's boats. When in 1849 Plymouth Church burnt down. Beecher and his wealthy sponsors built an even larger one to cater to these throngs of parishioners and curiosity seekers. The new church could fit 2,500 people per sermon, with many, many more people 
loitering around outside. And that building is, of course, still standing. It's one of the main buildings. Quite startling to contemporary ears today were his views. In an era where preachers were often run out of town for being anti-slavery, Beecher actually made it his defining cause. Plymouth Church was such a well-known abolitionist landmark that it even became a reported stop along the Underground Railroad, keeping escaped slaves in the basement. Underscoring Henry's conviction to the issue is his sister, Harriet Beecher Stowe, author of Uncle Tom's Cabin in 1857, probably the most popular book of the 19th century, and standard bearer for the white Northeastern abolitionist movement. Two of Henry's other sisters, by the way, Catherine and Isabella, were progressives in the fields of education and women's rights. In fact, Beecher himself was also a major figure in the women's suffrage movement of the period, and as you'll see, he hobnobbed with the major names of the movement and would eventually embarrass them. Henry's religious views, as delivered either from the pulpit or from a long series of successful lecture tours that he did, were oftentimes radical, as when he petitioned to have the concept of hell eliminated from the beliefs of Plymouth Church. Sometimes his beliefs would actually veer into the militant. In 1856, he raised money from the pulpit to send, quote, Beecher's Bibles, unquote, to the territory of Kansas, where battles between slavery proponents and abolitionists was actually festering into violence. Those Beecher's Bibles, by the way, were not Bibles, they were rifles. You might just as well read the Bible to buffaloes as to these fellows, he said, referring to the pro-slavery contingent. I should note that Beecher, or for that matter, many high-minded progressives at this time, did not actually believe in equality between people of different races, merely that slavery itself was a sin, an institution that fostered sins in the white man and generally demeaned God's creatures. Nowhere was this highfalutin sort of philosophy on better display than in Henry Ward Beecher's mock slave auctions at Plymouth. That's right. His most famous example in February of 1860 was with a nine-year-old slave girl nicknamed Pinky. Henry would bring the young girl to the stage, then effectively cry out to the audience to fill the offering basket, filling it with money and jewelry to buy Pinky from her master. In fact, with some flair I quite imagine, he snatched out an expensive ring that someone had put into the offering basket, turned to Pinky, and proclaimed, With this ring, I thee wed to freedom. Plymouth Church would be filled with dozens of these mock auctions and would be well known for these crazy stunts. During the Civil War, Beecher actively recruited for the Union cause, inspiring so many young men from Plymouth Church to enlist that he actually created his own regiment called the Brooklyn Phalanx, which he personally went down to Washington, D.C. to get accepted into the regular Union forces. Naturally, with this flair for the dramatic and the sentimental, Beecher had many admirers in the 19th century. Walt Whitman said, He hit me so hard, fascinated me to such a degree, that I was afterwards willing to go far out of my way to hear him speak. A young Abraham Lincoln was invited to speak at Plymouth Church in 1860, but at last minute his speech was switched to Cooper Union. He too came to hear Beecher. In fact, Plymouth is the only church in New York that Lincoln ever entered, and the place where he sat is still marked on one of the pews inside of the church. In addition, in the courtyard of Plymouth Church today, there stands a statue of Henry Ward Beecher, and right next to it is a relief of Abraham Lincoln. Another regular among the audience, and often at the dinner table of Beecher's, was Mark Twain, who described one sermon of Henry's as, quote, a remarkably handsome man when he is in the full tide of sermonizing, but he is as homely as a singed cat when he isn't doing anything. 
Unquote. In 1867, Twain would eventually accompany many members of the Plymouth Church on an exotic cruise through Europe and the Holy Land. The results would be, of course, Mark Twain's classic chronicle, *Innocence Abroad*, in which he frequently skewers the thoroughly American manners of the Plymouth congregation, along with everybody else. Twain would later seat himself at another public Beecher event. This one, far less pleasant for all involved, *The Trial of the Century*. Henry Ward Beecher's scandalous adultery trial of 1875. So yes, now we're at the sex part, and it's going to get a little complex here. I'm going to throw a few names at you. I'm just, I'm just warning you. But this is such a striking cast of characters; it's difficult to leave anybody out. So anyway, Beecher's. Intimacy with his flock, which he's world renowned for at this particular point, seems to extend most dearly, I guess, to the women of the congregation. Beecher's improper flirtations had already made the radar of Plymouth Church's leading parishioner Henry Bowen. Bowen had helped Beecher move to Brooklyn Heights in the first place, even paying off most of his debts. Shortly after Beecher arrived, Bowen started a Congregationalist newspaper called the Independent, which quickly became the voice for the abolition movement. Especially as Beecher was a regular contributor, and eventually he did become the editor in chief of the Independent. Bowen hired a woman named Edna Dean Proctor to basically transcribe Beecher's sermons and turn them into books. Their first and only collaboration, which was called Life Thoughts, Life Thoughts. Proctor, by the way, would later become a poet and an author in her own right, but her situation with Beecher quickly becomes lurid. Are you sitting down? Many years after her association with Beecher, Proctor told Bowen that the preacher and she had been involved in a sexual liaison. One such encounter in Bowen's own home, and many in Beecher's study at Plymouth Church. She claimed to have been overpowered by Beecher, collapsing as Henry quote. Accomplished his devilry upon her. Unquote. This was just what she said. None of it was ever proven. However, Bowen, who was already growing steadily impatient with Beecher, kept this revelation and a lot of other lascivious secrets that he had happened to have heard. Kept them in his back pocket for later. But it was Beecher's peer at the Independent that would eventually fan these indiscretions into a full-fledged public sex scandal. Theodore Tilton was initially Beecher's biggest fan, an editorial assistant of his, that was basically cast in Beecher's own image. Like Beecher, Tilton also dabbled in progressive politics, especially women's suffrage. Theodore and his wife Elizabeth were close companions of the Beechers. Theodore would eventually become a successful lecturer in his own right, frequently leaving Elizabeth at her home at 174 Livington Street, due south of Plymouth Church. On the evening of October 9th, 1868, Henry Ward Beecher made his first appearance in Elizabeth's、um, parlor. By the way, you might be asking, where exactly is Beecher's wife Eunice in all this? Eunice always publicly believed the innocence of her husband, but for most of the events I'm about to describe, she was out of town, either at the Beecher's upstate home or in Florida. And to be truthful, theirs was not a story of true love anyway, although that might have already become obvious. Apparently, however, Henry Ward Beecher found his love in the arms of Elizabeth Tilton, or at least for a few months. The two would allegedly begin a sex tryst that would continue over the course of many, many months. Despite the fact that for part of this period, Elizabeth was actually pregnant with Theodore's baby. It's like a soap opera, isn't it? Upon Theodore Tilton's return, the affair was exposed, and Elizabeth spilled the beans to her husband on July the fourth, eighteen seventy. While Theodore was shocked, they kept the affair quiet. 
On another night, though, Theodore, in a jealous fit of rage, spilled his secrets to a dinner guest who just happened to be Elizabeth Cady Stanton, one of two well-known leaders of the women's suffrage movement. But wait, it gets better. Theodore then stormed home late that night and confronted his wife Elizabeth again. The two fought viciously then, despite the fact that Elizabeth Tilton was also hosting a dinner guest by the name of. Susan B. Anthony, the other of the two well-known leaders of the women's suffrage movement, Susan excused herself upstairs, as would be natural in the middle of a domestic dispute. But Elizabeth soon followed, slammed the door behind her, and then confessed the entire sex affair to Susan B. Anthony, the woman who would later grace the dollar bill coin. Theodore would later get a written confession from his wife, which he promptly presented to the naturally horrified Henry. On December 1870, Henry then himself confronted the bedridden Elizabeth, who by this time had assumably fallen upon her fainting couch on several occasions. I would imagine he convinced her, or rather, probably forced her, to write a retraction to her original confession. Later, still, Elizabeth would retract the retraction. In another letter to her husband, needless to say, the woman was truly beside herself at this point. What the three could agree on separately was to keep the affair private, as both Theodore and Henry had much to lose if the scandal surfaced in the prying ears of Brooklyn Heights society. And so enters the most controversial character of our tale. Her name is Victoria Woodhull. She was on the very, very left of the women's suffrage movement. I think we can safely say, advocating free love and a loosening of strict Victorian morality. She was also a spiritualist and occasionally spoke in trances. But you know, who doesn't? She was also the first woman to ever run for president. Although I doubt Hillary would trace any connection to this woman. Woodhull wanted in the tight circle of leaders in the women's suffrage movement, and knew an endorsement by Henry Ward Beecher would grant her that kind of immediate respectability. But obviously, Beecher was clearly not going to do any such thing. Woodhull had heard of the affair between Henry and Elizabeth, either from the mouth of Elizabeth Cady Stanton or from Theodore himself, as he had just happened to have written a book about Victoria Woodhull and was a great admirer. So, angered by Beecher's rejection of her and armed to expose his hypocrisy, in September of 1872, she published a lurid account of their affair in her own newspaper, the Woodhall and Claflin Weekly, which sold 150,000 copies. Now, remember Henry Bowen, the owner of the Independent, with rumors of Beecher's infidelity in that back pocket? Well. He arranges to conveniently mail a couple copies of this weekly newspaper to a member of the anti-pornography board. Woodhall was then arrested for transporting offensive materials to the U.S. mail. But most importantly, the arrest then turned this decidedly local story into national and international news. By this point, Henry had naturally spiraled into a bout of depression. His sermons becoming more sinister, and he frequently mentioned to Elizabeth that he wished to kill himself. Eventually, a doctor prescribed hashish to calm him down. So, by the mid 1870s, Beecher, on top of being completely stressed, his reputation in peril, he was also high. The news of the now revealed affair, however, does not play out as you might expect it to. Theodore Tilton was barred from Plymouth Church, and his reputation was essentially ruined for slandering the great Beecher. 
the Plymouth Church actually ends up exonerating Henry, at least publicly, but Elizabeth Tilton, whose wishy-washy, possibly coerced statements and later retraction of her earlier retraction, called her reliability into question, was also eventually dropped from the church. Theodore Tilton's only recourse was in civil court, and thus came the trial of the century on April 1st, 1875. But again, after a six-month trial... Despite testimonies, letters of confessions, and the entire volumes of love letters between Theo and Elizabeth, which were meant to underscore the true love that Henry had threatened to destroy, Beecher totally charmed on the stand, where he testified for almost three straight weeks, and the public's steadfast belief in his innocence eventually resulted in a hung jury. It was Theodore's reputation that had suffered the most, yes, but Henry, by now weakened and completely distraught, was experiencing a kind of a new sort of fame as a, you know, as a scandal curiosity. He embarked on a lecture series in the New American West that were almost as popular as any tours that he had given before, though many were there just to see what a disgraced minister looks like. He then returned to Brooklyn Heights, but at this point it was a very transformed city. The Brooklyn Bridge had just opened in 1883, and a gigantic green statue, a gift from the French, had just been hoisted in the New York Harbor and could be seen from the window of his old townhouse. Henry Ward Beecher returned to preaching at Plymouth Church, but in March 8, 1887, he died in his home of a brain hemorrhage. His fame was such that on the day of his funeral, all businesses in Brooklyn closed and the bells of City Hall rang. Today, on the other end of the plaza in front of Brooklyn City Hall stands only one statue that looks directly at the building, and that statue is of Henry Ward Beecher. So what does Plymouth Church do for an encore? Well, it just grows larger. In 1934, Plymouth Church merges with the rival Church of the Pilgrims to become the Plymouth Church of the Pilgrims. Just to underscore the point, a small chunk of Plymouth Rock can actually be found inside the church. In 1961, the church is given official landmark status. And just two years later, in 63, the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gives a speech at Plymouth, a speech that just happens to be a formative version of his I Have a Dream speech, which he would then revise and give just seven months later at Lincoln Memorial. See, even without the Beecher scandal, Plymouth is a very, very valuable part of Brooklyn history. And while I'm sure the present church leaders don't exactly publish all the good sex bits in their church bulletins, aren't you glad you know about it? Anyway, uh, thank you for listening. I just have to say that a lot of the juicy details that I got in this podcast come from one of my favorite books that I read last year, and it also happens to be the 2007 Pulitzer Prize winner for biography, The Most Famous Man in America by the author Debbie Applegate. I'm totally recommending it if you found anything in this podcast interesting, especially because I didn't even touch on all the crazier details and all the wacky additional personalities that, you know, he basically crosses paths with anyone who was anyone in the mid-19th century. So check that one out. As always, I update the blog a few times a week with stories relating to this week's podcast, so go check it out at BoweryBoysPodcast.com. I'll be back here next week, so thanks a lot for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. This week's interlude music was Finding Beauty by Craig Armstrong. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and 
producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Mm-hmm.